My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is in our midst. He is there, May the words of my heart, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I love the Feast of the Transfiguration because of where it falls on the Christian calendar and what it shows us about Jesus as well as giving us clues as to what awaits us as his followers. Lent is almost here and on Ash Wednesday we're pivoting to solemn services that focus on penitence, self-examination, asceticism, facing the darkness within ourselves, and trusting the light of the risen Christ to illuminate those corners. But right before the heaviness of Lent, we get a vision so incredible that it beggars all description. We see a vision of our incarnate Lord radiating his divine glory visibly to those around him. You know, we sang a lot just now in the hymn about the invisibleness of of the light of God. And what's interesting about this story is that we see the invisible for a moment turn visible. It's a sight that Peter, James, and John will not witness again until after Christ's passion and resurrection. And we learn an important fact that as human beings, we become like what we behold, which is the title for my sermon this morning. We are transformed by degrees into that which we orient the the eyes of our heart towards. So let's look a little bit at Moses in the story that we heard read from the Old Testament. After God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he comes down from the mountain. And he finds the people getting up to some fairly terrible things. And in anger, he takes the tablets of stone that God has, has cut himself and written on himself. And he takes the tablets of stone and he casts them to the ground, breaking them into pieces. And then he takes the golden calf that they had made and he grinds it to powder. And then he mixes it with water and he makes the people drink it. He then goes back up the mountain to meet with God. He comes from the beauty and the splendor of the holiness of God down to be confronted by human sinfulness, only to go back up the mountain to be in God's presence once again. And he's up there for 40 days. And while he's there, (laughs) he fasts. And this is the model for our own fasting And then he comes down with new tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments re-inscribed. And the people, when he comes down, they will not come near him at all. Why? Because his face was shining with the glory of God. Shining. We might think to ourselves, well, why would this be scary? Well, partially because people's faces just don't shine. (laughs) You know, we're not... Human beings are not, we're not bioluminescent 
fish that swim at the lowest depths of the ocean, right? There's nothing in us that can make us, we, can't, we don't shine with, with anything. You know, if you have a really good flashlight, you might be able to like put it up to your finger and shine it and kind of see the bone behind it, but that's not what's going on here. This is scary because people don't shine and because to approach God's divine presence unworthily could have disastrous consequences for them. Moses calls the elders and the leaders of the people and they approach him and he tells them everything God has said. Then, because of their fear, he puts a veil over his face. Imagine that. Imagine that. As a witness to this, being so afraid of the, of the presence of God that the one bearing that presence, you say, cover up. And after he does so, whenever he would go into God's presence again, his face would shine. And then after he told them what God said, he would then veil his face. Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus' transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke takes place right after a few key events. He's fed the 5,000. He's foretold his coming crucifixion. Peter has made his confession of Jesus' identity. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has taught them to follow him. And if you're going to follow me, he says, you have to be willing to take up your own cross and follow me. And for many of his disciples, that's going to be a literal thing that they'll wind up doing, including Peter himself. There's no glorification or easy way without being willing to suffer. And in this, even Jesus shows them just what awaits them and us as his followers. After this, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And while they get sleepy, he prays. And while he prays, he's transformed. His face is altered. His clothes become dazzling white. And Moses and Elijah appear and speak to him about his coming death. And Peter, James, and John witness this. In fact, it shakes them from their sleepiness and it makes them fully awake. As Jesus radiates the divine majesty he shares with the Father before the world began. As the Nicene Creed we're going to confess in a few moments puts it, Jesus is light from light, true God of true God, begotten not made of one being with the Father. And as the epistle to the book of Hebrews says in chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory in the exact imprint of God's very being. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at patterns, the face of Jesus, and love. Moses' journey up and down the mountain highlights some important themes. The great church father, St. Gregory of Nyssa, in his reflections on the life of Moses, likens Moses' journey up the mountain to the soul's ascent to God through the layers of ignorance, illumination, and then darkness. We could also call this purgation, illumination, and union. But for our purposes, we're not going to focus on those things so much as highlight something a little bit different. At this point in the story, Moses was in the presence of God. He comes down to see the people in sin. He goes back up into the mountain, receives the law again, and then he comes down with the law that will be used to govern Israel to prepare them for the coming of Christ. 
And when Christ does come in his incarnation, what does he do? He descends from heaven. As St. John puts it in his gospel, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He lives amongst uh, sinful humanity. He dwells among sinful humanity, the very humanity who will wind up spurning him and crucifying him. And then he's raised and ascends into heaven. He will then return in glory to judge. So we see in the actions of Moses, in the story of Moses, we see this prefiguring the actions of the coming righteous one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Moses comes down from the mountain to be confronted with sinful humanity, so Christ descends, becomes human, takes on human nature, confronted by sinful humanity, and then goes back up into heaven, just as Moses goes back up the mountain to receive the law from God, only to come back down and give them the law again. And for us, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Some very clear Christological patterns in the story of Moses and how it plays out in the life of Christ. Christ's life will become our own life. It, in fact, has already begun to become our own life when we are brought into his body, the church. St. Ephraim the Syrian said, He who gives his body a glory that no one can reach is able to raise it to life from the death that everyone tastes. Let's talk about the, faith, the face of Jesus. By virtue of being in the direct presence of God, Moses' face radiates light. And we shouldn't think of this light like loom on a watch. How many of you guys have like, still don't, don't use digital watches, you still you know, use an analog watch. There's something on your watch called loom. It doesn't shine on its own. If you have a really old watch, you might actually have like tritium in there, or not tritium, uh, radioactive material in there, which is actually really dangerous if you would like to break it. But modern watches have loom inside. When I was at, uh, I was, when I was at the monastery, I had my watch and I put it down on a, on a little shelf and it was right underneath the lamp and I had the lamp on because I was reading. And then when I turned the light off to go to sleep, I looked down at my watch and I could see the loom was was glowing, like really bright, because it had been in the direct presence of the light from that lamp. But what happened to the loom? What happened to the light coming from the loom? It doesn't stay forever. It fades. It fades. The glory, though, shining from Moses' face, isn't the absorption of light that's then reflected. Right? It's not like the moon and the relationship with the moon and the sun. The light shining from Moses' face is what theologians would call the uncreated light. The light of God's divine nature. And Moses, his face doesn't just shine. It radiates. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, when he shows up again on the mountain talking to Jesus, it's not just his face that's shining. His whole being shines. 
as the Lord's eternal glory is seen through him and Elijah. And we must never forget that it's not his own glory, right? It's not Moses' own glory. It's not Elijah's own glory that's shining through them. That they were good enough or they worked hard enough and by that labor God was like, yes, you get some of this divine glory, right? No, the light that they are given that radiates isn't just, a, it's not a reflection of, but it's the very light of Christ manifested through them. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, St. Paul said, For God who said, let, let, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a story that I really enjoy from the sayings of the Desert Fathers that goes like this. Abba, that just means it's father. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can say my little office, uh, as often as I can, I say my little office. That's a prayer rule. I fast a little, I pray, I meditate, I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else am I to do? What else, Abelot said, can I do? Then Abba Joseph stood up, stretched his hands towards heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to him, if you will, you can become all flame. The story highlights something that we see on the mountain of transfiguration. That just as Christ was transfigured, so too we will be transfigured as well. That those of us who have been brought into new life in Christ, through him will experience, sorry, those of us who have been brought new life in and through him will experience it. This is our destiny. That we will grow in what St. Paul says, from glory to glory. From death to new life that never runs out leading us to radiate the uncreated light of Christ for all eternity. Let's talk about love. Unless we think that all of this remains up in the ether, right? In the space of spiritual theory. Well, that's great, Pastor Mike. Shining light of Christ. That's wonderful. Wow, that's so, so fantastic. What does that have to... to so that's a, a picture of ourselves in the future. Okay, wonderful. Spiritual theory is great. St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians shows how the life of Christ that radiates manifests itself in how we live. Right? Like we sang in the hymn. I'll say it again. We talked about Christ's invisible light. Right? In, in, in his chapter on the way of love, St. Paul speaks of how love is what we use as a ruler. It puts everything else into perspective. Right? He says, if I gave my body to the fire to be burned, if I martyred, and he was martyred, he was beheaded. If I gave my body to the fire to be burned, and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. The ultimate self-giving means nothing if it's not driven by love. And people can give of themselves to that extreme through motivations other than love. But it profits them nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I wish most Christians who post on social media would read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 before they hit reply or send. Myself included. <laughs> the light of Christ, isn't, it, it's something that transformative of who we are. It's transformative. And the Christian way of love is how that transforming power of Christ works itself out through us in real and practical ways. And if we don't have love, then all the spiritual mysteries, all prophetic powers, all gifts given to us by God mean nothing. The light that is to come for us, for those of us who are in Christ, because the light that shines, the light that empowers, is freely offered, but not all will receive. But that light might be invisible now, but at the return of our Lord, we will be transfigured as well. Because our life, as St. Paul says, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.